Thursday, um, we had our normal cluster meeting, which is all of the covenant pastors and staff that uh, meet uh, up in Chandler from Phoenix and Tucson. And every church is represented there. We had a lot to talk about. And the thing that came out of that meeting more than anything else was how can we offer uh, pastoral care to our people in a time when everybody's kind of staying to themselves? So you need to know that uh, myself and our staff and our leadership are committed to caring for you in the best way we can. And what that means sometimes is that we need to hear from you if you need something, if you uh, need prayer, if you need food, if you need anything, you call one of us and we will make sure that uh, we care for you the best way we possibly can. Uh, Now, would you just extend your hands as a sign of receptivity to the word, Father, uh, this is your word. And uh, Lord, as uh, Becca prayed, this... um, crazy, wild thing that we call love and grace and joy and peace. Uh, May we extend that to each other and to those who are in great need. Thank you, Father, for your word. May it speak to our hearts directly and clearly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles uh, or your instruments of any any, um, uh, type, please uh, open those up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, a part of that uh, passage, the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7. And let me begin this morning by reminding you of who you are. Um, You've already been reminded by uh, uh, Jeanette and by uh, Becca of who you are. Let me refresh your memory. Last week we looked at the contrast between the old life and the new life and the life that we have in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you by faith have said yes to God to offer his salvation of forgiveness, of eternal life, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so last week we described this new life from our text um, with using, describing, using four words that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5. Those four words are recreated. You are a new creation, not a new, not an improved or a reformed person. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are created, created ex nihilo, out of nothing. God created you and you are recreated in his image. The second word we used was reconciled, which means rewoven literally like um, a bone or uh, Bo Jackson's bat. And that broken relationship that you have with God because of your sin, God hasn't broken it, you have, because your sin, that has been rewoven and completely made new and stronger than ever before. The third word we looked at was righteous. Uh, You are justified. The righteousness of Christ becomes Yours. We looked at the wonderful exchange by Martin Luther. Our sins are no longer ours, but his. His righteousness is no longer his, but ours, when he died on the cross for our sins. And finally, we use the word representatives. In verse 20, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You are the highest ranking diplomat sent by God from heaven 
to earth. That's who you are. You're the highest ranking diplomat sent by God from heaven to earth. And as Jeanette reminded us, when you know who you are, right, you'll know what to do. And part of that statement can be added to uh, when we recognize who we are in Christ and in this extraordinary time that we live in with the coronavirus. Um, No one knows what's going to happen. No one knows how many lives are going to be lost. Nobody knows how many people are going to get the coronavirus. But here's something we know about ourselves. When you know who you are, you'll know what you'll do, and you know where you're going. You know where you're going. We've joked about it, you know. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, we'll wake up in heaven, right? But, But there's something very poignant about that. The early Christians in the second century, the reason they weren't afraid of the plague and no one knew what the plague was or how it was affecting everybody, but the reason they weren't afraid is because they knew where they were going. They knew that if they died, they would wake up in heaven. And that kind of of, um, uh, commitment, that kind of of resolve uh, helped them and encouraged them to change the way they live their lives and live for other people. And that's what we're called to do. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And you'll know what to do about the coronavirus. You need to be praying about that. God, what do you want for me? We need to offer to each other the peace of Jesus, the shalom of Yahweh, the peace of God that comes from knowing him and knowing who we are and knowing where we're going. So you are an ambassador of the Most High God, not only to bring that message to people's ears, but to bring that to their hands and to their hearts. That's what we talked about last week. This week, the reality of knowing who we are is seen in the context of relationships. Our relationship with each other, our relationship with the world, and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now remember who you are. You're recreated, you're reconciled, you're righteousness, and you're representatives of the Most High God. And who you are dictates how you do relationships. So in our text this morning, we're looking at uh, chapter 6, verses uh, 11 to the end of the chapter, and then the first four verses of chapter 7. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, Paul writes, we have spoken honestly with you, And our hearts are open to you. You can almost feel the pathos that Paul is feeling when he writes this to this beloved church that he began. Our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part. And he's speaking not only for himself, but also for Barnabas and Silas and some of the others. But you have withheld your love from us. Can you imagine the pain that Paul must have been feeling? This church that he began, this thing that he gave birth to, all of that is just amazing. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I am asking you to respond to us as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. There's that relationship with each other, with the body of Christ. And then he goes on and talks about the relationship with people outside the faith. Now this is going to sound harsh, but you have to remember, wait until we get to the teaching. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. The key word there is team up. Okay, and the NIV, it's yoke. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. How can righteous be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? 
And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Please open your hearts to us. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you and I take great, great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. And that's the theme of this whole book is be encouraged. And that's what Paul says right there. Relationships can be toxic or dynamic. They can give us life or take life away. But in all these relationships, we have to remember who we are. And when we remember who we are, we will know what to do. So let's look at relationships with believers. Now, Paul has gotten somehow crosswise with the church at Corinth. Part of it is that Paul is so busy, he's out planning other churches and probably didn't communicate effectively enough back to his church at Corinth. But a lot of this is on them. Um, somehow they felt like they owned Paul. (laughs) This is one of the first churches he planted and he spent 18 months there. He spent more time in Corinth than any other place during his missionary journeys. And so they felt like they had this ownership of Paul. And so they wanted more of Paul, more of him, right? And so Paul responds somewhat a little bit defensively. And he says, listen, look, look what's happened. I have dozens of other churches and as an apostle, I have to go where the gospel is not known. And, 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 and so Paul answers the complaints this way. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. So here's the point that Paul wants to make. We are in this thing together and we cannot forget our mission, our purpose. Our mission is to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are the highest ranking officials sent by God from heaven to the earth to bring the good news of God's reconciling love to people that are lost and far from God. That's who you are. That's your job. That's your A number one job. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. We're family. And when we think about this uh, virus that has the world just in an uproar, I want you to think about people that you know. Uh, maybe a shut-in. Uh, maybe someone like Irene that's uh, in a home where they're just kind of closing off to everyone else. Think about people that you know, a neighbor perhaps that can't get out very well. What can you do? Because you know who you are. What can you do to make their lives better, easier? I mean, you, you have to go to Costco sometime. You're going to spend a couple hours there. <laughs> Why not get a bunch of stuff to give away to people that can't get out? To your neighbors, to your friends, to shut-ins. I, I mean, God gave you this thing, this tool. 
use it. Don't text senior citizens. They don't know what they're doing with texting. I mean, I just barely do. And, uh, but don't do that. I'll tell you what you do. You call them and you pray for them over the phone. And you bless them. Hey, how can I, how can I pray for you? What, what do you need? Um, if they need food, if they need something, you get, make sure it gets over to them. And here's something else. This is kind of old school. I thought of this on the way up today. Here's something you might do that you've probably forgotten how to do. Take one of these. Take one of these, put them together, and write a note to Irene. Or write a note to someone else. Because you know what? Our generation and up, we used to write letters. Some of you young people say, what is a letter? Okay, it's where you actually write how you feel about something on a piece of paper and put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it if you can find one. And you mail it to them because um, that will get to them. The post office, we've heard, is going to keep on going no matter what. Whatever's left of the post office, right? But there's a lot of ways because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do when it comes to the body of Christ. You'll know how to encourage each other. Um, uh, you know, some people in our congregation are going through really big struggles with illness. Uh, Joyce and others. Um, how can you encourage them? How can you bless them? How can you honor them? Pick up the phone, call them, say, hey, I want to pray for you. And that's something that you can do to, because we are a family. Uh, now, Jesus was talking to a crowd one day and he defined a family this way. Somebody said to Jesus, hey, uh, your mom and your, uh, your brothers, uh, they're waiting outside and you're in here talking to people. You need to go outside. Your mom and your brothers are waiting out there. They want to talk to you. It's kind of a teaching moment for Jesus. So here's what he did. He pointed to the disciples that he was talking to and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so each and every one of you are my mother and brothers and sisters. Family does not quit on each other or leave each other or lose focus. Remember who you are. In fact, right now, uh, take a look around you and look at people in the eye. Don't touch them because we don't... (laughs) Come on. You know, but look, look them in the eye, okay? The reason I want you to look them in the eye, <laughs> you have to spend eternity with these people. <laughs> you better start getting along with them, you know, because you're going to spend eternity, not just the next two years, you're going to spend eternity with these people. We work out our differences. We don't walk away. We take care of each other. We do that. Remember, when you know who you are and what you have been called to do as an ambassador, you will know what to do because relationships in the body of Christ are messy sometimes and complicated, but we are committed to being family and working through our things. John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The best thing you can do to prove to the world that you're disciples of Jesus Christ is how you love the other people in this this room, how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Our relationship with each other should be characterized by three words. Family, because we have the same Heavenly Father. Love, because we're fiercely devoted to each other. And a common purpose. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. 2 Corinthians 5.18 If we focus on these three things, all of the things simply fall away. So that's our relationship with each other. 
What about our relationships with non-believers? Now, as I was reading that passage in 2 Corinthians, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, man, I'm going to have to become Amish, you know. You know, come out from among them. Stay away from the English, you know, and all of that, you know. And no, that's not what it means at all. Um, now, of course, the big answer is what do we do with non-believers? The big answer is always the same, and that is you love them. You love them. You don't run away from them. You love them. Because if you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, look at what he did. And he was constantly in relationship with non-believers. So this text must mean something other than just staying away, right? So listen to what it says. I'll read a couple of verses, 14 and 15. Don't, here's the key word, team up or be yoked with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer uh, be a partner with an unbeliever? The word yoked there with unbelievers, a yoke is a, a wooden harness where two animals are linked together. It's very sturdy, very stiff. And these two animals are forced to function as one. Now what you would never do is yoke up together an oxen and a donkey, right? Now, you can go ahead and chuckle because in a minute I'm going to refer to you as oxen and donkeys. You have to decide which you are, okay? An oxen, they have different natures completely. An oxen is hardworking and cooperative. A donkey uh, is feisty and stubborn. Honey, you and I make a good team. Actually, yeah, yeah. Now, so, so which one of those are you? So we have to remember as Christ followers, not to be yoked up with an unbeliever, okay? That's what it means. Author Ray Steadman says this, it's a cruel thing to yoke together two things of incompatible natures. There are certain associations that Christians have with unbelievers that constitute a yoke. And these associations are a certain cause for misery and shame in a Christian's life. We are to avoid them. They will hinder us, limit us, Bind us and keep us from enjoying the fullness that God has in mind for us. They are like trying to mix oil and water. What does it mean to be unequally yoked? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean, right? It doesn't mean separating yourselves physically from the world. Through the years, there have been groups, the Amish and others, who have separated themselves from the world, trying to stay away from worldly things. That's not what this text means at all. Remember, if you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, look at what he did. He was always hanging out with unbelievers. So don't leave here and say, good, I don't have to hang out with unbelievers. No, you should have many friends who are unbelievers. You should have many relationships who are unbelievers. What he's talking about here is do not be yoked with unbelievers. I don't want any of you to become a monk, right? Okay. In fact, that reminds me of a story. So there was a monk who joined a monastery, naturally, and took an oath of silence. The monsignor told him, okay, you can have for... the next many years that you're taking this oath of silence, you can speak two words per year. Some of you would rather shoot yourselves, right? <laughs> you can speak two words. So at the end of the first year, the monk went to the monsignor and he said, bed hard. Okay. Year passes. Monk goes through his silence. He comes before the monsignor after the second year and he said, Soup cold. Another year passes, and the monk comes to the monsignor and says, I quit. (laughs) 
the Monsignor says, well, it doesn't surprise me. All you've been doing for three years is complaining. Right? <laughs> we need to be, we're called to be in the world, not of the world. You put a boat on the water, not in the water, okay? Now, this doesn't mean that we're supposed to refuse relationships with unbelievers. Some have said, but Jesus prayed to the Father, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He has sent us into the world. Remember, we're ambassadors from God to this world to be the very thing that we've been talking about, to make a difference in their lives with the gospel. The key is to be an influencer and not influenced. Okay, that's what it's not. So, uh, now, unequally yoked does not mean to avoid relationships because we're ambassadors. Then here's what it does mean. It means to avoid partnerships with unbelievers. Yoked means to become uh, intimate, have a relationship where you are partners. Same goals, same dreams, same values. That's where it all falls apart. So I can think of two ways that this can be really detrimental. The first is in business, right? Um, Paul said in the message these words, 2 Corinthians 6.14 in the message, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of a right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. Is light best friends with darkness? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Anytime you're in business with an unbeliever, it can be very, very difficult because you have different goals, different dreams, different values, different visions. Uh, Sherry asked, sometimes you should ask Sherry's dad. He's 90 years old. But if you talk to him about his business that he started and the partner he was with who was not a believer, it caused all kinds of issues. And the other relationship where you must not be uh, yoked with unbelievers, you know this is coming, and that's marriage. Okay? It's unwise to marry an unbeliever. Now, if you're currently married to an unbeliever, this is, a not, this is not a get out of marriage free card. <laughs> that just means you pray harder. I talked to someone, uh, we talk, talked to someone last weekend, said that the wife prayed for the husband for like 30 years before he came to Christ. So there's those wonderful, wonderful messages. But the, what, so, so you have to ask yourself this question. What does the Bible say about dating a non-Christian? Absolutely nothing. Dating is part of the Western culture. It wasn't part of the biblical culture uh, the, where we choose someone. But my experience as a pastor is that well over 90% of those kind of relationships do not work. They just don't work. Now sometimes it's... But if you want to be, have a difficult time in your life, marry someone who's not a Christ follower. We're not supposed to be yoked with unbelievers. Ask my wife. She used to be a missionary dater. She'd date a boy so she could lead him to Christ, you know. And, uh, you know, she, uh, when she found me, she knew that she had the real deal, so she didn't have to look any further. But uh, <laughs> do not be yoked with unbelievers. Finally, the last relationship Paul talks about is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. With people, some relationships are toxic and dangerous. And some are very dynamic. But with our Heavenly Father... You'll never appreciate a dynamic relationship with God until you understand the depth of intimacy that God wants to have with you. He is crazy for you. He aches for you. Now, instead of the formal Greek word in the text that Paul uses here uh, for father, which is pater, P-A-T-E-R, he chose the Aramaic word, Abba, 
which means daddy or papa. There's that um, intimacy, that, that joy, that pleasure in God in his relationship with you. In our text, we read these words once again, and I want to read them again. The Father is speaking, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I will be your Father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. His indwelling presence, we will live in him and he in us. His intimate fellowship, he says, I will walk with you and his infinite care. He calls us sons and daughters. Now, some of us had that relationship where he's the master and we're the slave. Or he's, we, he's the parent and we're the sons and daughters. But there's a relationship here that is so sweet and it is so intimate that God wants to know you, every part of you, who you are, and to love you for the rest of your life. This is a relationship that we have to get right. Because when you know you who you are, you will know what to do. Would you bow your heads with me, please?